You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast for May 9th to May 13th. Highlights this week include uh, we got to chat to Kate McLennan who went to the Logies and uh, she, Sam Neil loves her and also we had a chat about Sarah you getting a tongue piercing oh yeah mm. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore <laughs> Dr Jen told us about the science of tickling very awkward that was and uh, <laughs> and Elise Constable told us about her show Mummy Dearest. What a week. The Next Wave Festival is on at the moment. One of the shows that you can catch is called Mummy Dearest. It's playing at the Art House until the 21st of May. The woman behind it is Annalise Constable. She's joining us now in the studio. Welcome to Triple R. Thank you very much. Uh, This is billed as a brutally honest take on parenting and childhood. I haven't seen the show, but what form does it take? It's a one-woman show? Yeah, it's a a one-woman, one-hour show. It's me up there um, basically taking you on a hilarious romp through my childhood trauma. It's a comedy. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a, a comedy. Dark comedy. It's a dark comedy. Yeah, think think maybe think of it. It's it's dark in that it, it's more like maybe watching comedy in in the panic room with the lights off. You know, like <laughs> dark and funny. Uh, you've written about your own childhood, growing up with a mother who was an alcoholic, struggling with mental illness. Was there a particular moment when you realised that your childhood perhaps was not like the childhood of other people around you? Uh I think it was a gradual realisation, um, you know, like when I would go over to other people's houses um, for, for sleepovers or for dinner or something and I would maybe recognise the way that the adults in those houses were interacting with the children was very different. I was very suspicious of other people's parents. I didn't quite... <laughs> I didn't trust authority in any way. So, um, yeah, I would usually be like, why, why are they so interested in you? <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's their end game? What do they want? You know. So how then did you relate to your own mother when you were growing up? Did you react by distancing yourself from her? or um, A whole range of ways, yeah. I probably um, reacted by trying to save her a lot and um, getting kind of emotionally involved. But also, yeah, I did, I did try to distance myself at different times, um, yeah, lots of different reactions. Was it just you and your mum growing up? Uh, I had an older brother and an older sister, uh, and they but they moved out, um, and then I, I did live for quite a while with just my mum and I. As well. And at what point were you like, I'm gonna take this experience and try and make it into something that is kind a of comedy. a little bit funny? Yeah. yeah, like how why can I how can I laugh at this? Well, I think that I just always naturally done that. Say with my friends um, and that's the way that I've always processed information and and the way that I've processed, I guess, kind of like having a difficult and challenging childhood would have always been to make jokes about it. That's how I made sense of it. And so it's really just taking it to another level. Instead of just talking to my friends at the pub about it, I've invited other people along to have a yarn about it as well. And what do you find, I mean, have you performed this show yet? I'm not sure. Has it started? It started on May 5th. So I've just done three shows. Okay. And how, what is the response kind of like? Because I know that sometimes when I kind of try and make light of more serious things in my life, my friends will laugh with me. Sometimes they're like, oh, should I laugh? Do you find yeah. that people take a while to kind of go, oh, I'm going to go with you on this? Yeah, it's really difficult. They um, A lot of people feel like they need permission or they yeah. need to see me laughing at it before they feel like it's okay for them to laugh at it as well. Um, and a lot of people have said, you know, like I, I, was, cr- I was crying from laughing, but then I was also crying yeah. at, at different <laughs> points as well. And they, yeah, it, it's quite an intense show, I think, but people have been really it's getting f- into it. I think it's a fine line and if you can find it, it, it works 
quite well. But it's, yeah. Uh, can you tell us more about the Next Wave Festival and how you got to be a part of it? Yeah. Um, so Next Wave Festival is on every two years and in the year off um, there's a development period where um, there's a group of artists who have applied um, and been accepted into a development program and so I, I applied to be part of that program and was accepted and you get some financial support but you also get... Um, assigned a producer and you go through um, a couple of different intensives where we go away and all of the artists spend time together developing their work and also developing our practice like how are we going to be sustainable artists how are we going to be how are we going to increase the accessibility and inclusivity of of the um, program and all of our artworks and how are we going to build that into our art practice um, forevermore. Do you work with a a mentor as well like I do, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, my producer is Joff O'Farrell and he he works at Next Wave, but I also, my mentor is Zoe Coombs-Ma, who was... Oh, oh so we yeah. interviewed yeah. her. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. I was going oh, to ask if you ever worked with Zoe, you know, because it seems like quite, uh, yeah, I could see a link there. Yeah. With your material and and that kind of yeah. Anyway, how how was it working with her then? Oh, amazing! We've we've been mates for a long time, mm. and so it just kind of it naturally progressed into a into kind of a mentoring relationship because she's heard me tell these stories for years and years just because she's my mate, mm. and she's really encouraged me to just get on the stage and tell them there as well. Yeah, was it your idea to get up on the stage and 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 do this, or was it her going, mate? Why don't you talk about your mum? <laughs> a, a bit of both. Yeah, yeah. I've I've always kind of wanted to do it, but I've just with the, with the help of friends, developed more confidence to yeah. do that. Yeah. Do, do you find your attitude to your mother has changed as you've got older? That you suddenly catch yourself saying or doing things, you know, that you think, "Gosh, now I sound like my mother," or maybe now I have more yeah. sympathy for how my mother was. Absolutely. Um, I. I mean, I'm, I'm never um, in one feeling or have one um, approach to her that stays there for very long because it's quite a complex relationship. So I'm never 100% angry, but I'm never always like um, 100% free of anger. And I'm, I'm never, I'm often empathetic. I have so much more um, understanding of like the complexities of her life and how this came about. And I certainly don't have judgment of her anymore whereas I, I previously did so it's more about um it's kind of celebrating her in a way mm. um celebrating what she has achieved despite a lot of her um challenges as well and has she she seen the show she has not seen the show um, will she will you let her um I probably wouldn't. Don't, yes, just say no. <laughs> don't, don't, but yeah, she was. She is very well aware of the show and um, was invited to be part of the the process of when I was writing the show, and we we interacted around that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got to ask the gloss. Um says that the show features magpie attacks. Yes. What are they? I mean, well, I know what a magpie attack is, but what is your magpie attack story? Oh, well, I mean, it, there's not one particular story. It's more about um, a childhood littered with magpie-related assaults, you know. Like it's, <laughs> it's more um, about how my, I guess my mum really... Cons- considered that to be a character building experience but we were um attacked like every day of every spring and we it was just relentless um and i guess it's about in um i'm talk about enduring those um assaults um from the magpies <laughs> but, and also i i the f- a funny thing i found out like while i was preparing for the show um was that magpies can actually recognize themselves in a mirror so they're one of the the animal species i guess that's self-aware and i thought 
that was interesting considering they, they could never recognise, like, my blood-curdling screams or <laughs> pleas for help to be left alone. <laughs> the show is, is called Mummy Dearest. It's on to the next wave at the Art House. It's showing until the 21st and there's a Aslan interpreter performance on Saturday. Um, Auslan? Os- yeah, Auslan. Yes. Yeah. Auslan, what did I say? Auslan's the lion. Yeah, the lion. <laughs> the lion. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be amazing if I had the funding. <laughs> anyway, we've been talking to Annalise Constable. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. You're listening to the best bits of The Breakfasters from 3 Triple R. Uh, so I don't know if you guys saw during the week, uh, I'm sure you were paying really close attention to the tabloids, uh, Justin Bieber has got a face tattoo like a little cross under his eye and um there's been a really big deal made out of this as you could imagine Uh, every time Bieber does anything they make a big deal out of it and he's come out it's a matching tattoo we got on with a friend and he's come out or his tattoo us has apparently come out and said oh it's to represent his faith because he's a so it's a cross um, it's not like a tear no no it's not it's it's not a prison tear it's it's, it's a prison (laughs) it's a prison cross (laughs) um but there's been this kind of like it's interesting seeing he's his whole body is covered in tattoos but it's interesting to see people's reactions when someone gets it's a face tattoo. It's seen as like this whole other level it's of tattooing. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't you have more respect for him though if he had got prison tattoos? Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no probably not. Probably not. <laughs> um, but have you guys ever? Have you got, have you got a tattoo? I Jess? don't. I don't have any tattoos, but I really want one, uh, and I think that's why I. I don't have any um, because I think about it so much. Like I'd really love – I'd love Mm -hmm. to get a crocodile because I love crocodiles, but it's like this thing where it's like, where do you find the perfect – because that's there forever, forever. It's a bit intimidating, isn't it? You kind of think like I might like it now, but – but I, I just, I, I guess I'll just get one on my back. But also, I, I always wanted to get a, um, a tattoo. Um, years ago, I wanted to get a ta- tattoo on my belly of like a, a smiley face. But the mouth was like in it's like going oh. And then so when I got pregnant, if I ever got pregnant, I won't now. But if I ever got pregnant, I'll go whoa. And the mouth would open because it, it and stretched it'd my stomach. And it also be very sad after. Yeah. You, you'd be looking like a sad little face yeah, afterwards. Yeah. It'd just well. be like the scream afterwards. <laughs> um, when I was in year 12, I think uh, a bunch of my friends went to get their first tattoo. They all turned 18 before me. I was a bit younger at school. And uh, I went along to this dodgy. Have I told you this before? I know, no. Dodgy, okay. I went along to this really dodgy tattoo shop um, in around here, actually. I can't remember exactly where, but there was a tattooist there by the nickname um, Sugar. And maybe. Well, maybe it was a good tattoo place, but like I just remember this guy was nicknamed Sugar, and he was a big, like, big, was a bikey type. Big, big, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he appeared to be, anyway. Yeah. Uh, and so we all went in and did that thing where you go, okay, I'm going to pick a tattoo out of a book. It was really big at the time. You pick like a Chinese symbol was really big. Um, you a kind dolphin. of your star sign was really big. You no, know, kind of like and faux tribal tats were really big. <laughs> oh, I know, yeah. like really bad. I know. So uh, me and my friends went in, and we all kind of like picked tattoos out of these books and. And uh, then I got there and I was like, you know what? I don't actually don't want a tattoo. I've decided I, I think I want to get my tongue pierced instead. So all my friends kind of had their tats done. They picked their little little tribal tats or whatever. And um, I went out the back and got my tongue pierced by Sugar. And it ended up being probably the worst decision of any oh of the girls no. who walked into that room. Really? I don't know that Sugar was... Um, particularly adept at um, piercing, even though it was a piercing and tattoo place. And he, like, got my tongue and it, it shot in uh, the, the the stud 
kind of at an angle. So it went in like wonky. It went in, it went in like at a really strange angle. And uh, people have told me tongue piercings are the least painful, and that's a total lie. It yeah. is, it is horrifying. Yeah, it was horrifying. And but what happened was so he he shot he shot it through, and I was like, oh, that didn't feel quite right. Anyway, we leave. All my friends have their new tattoos, uh, and then about like a kilometre down the road, my mouth like just starts bleeding so I'm getting like mouthfuls of blood and it was horrifying all my friends were like I don't know what to do I wasn't meant to get a tattoo I couldn't tell my dad about it like it was I sorry I wasn't meant to get my tongue pierced and so we went back to my friend's house and I had lay on the couch and oh and she stuffed my mouth full of like frozen beans from her freezer and was like well just be it's a total horror story she just stuffed my mouth so I was there all night you know just not wanting to sit propped up on pillows and they, they, and I was like quite hypochondriac, as you know. And every so often I'd spit a mouthful of frozen beans out into this pot, oh. and then they'd come in, they'd be like, "Oh, have some more frozen beans, Sarah." And they'd, oh, they'd, no. Yeah, and apparently they they were going to me. Oh, it's all good, Sarah. Like this happens, it'll be right. We'll call the tattoo place. It's all good. Uh, the tattoo guy, they ring Sugar. Sugar doesn't seem too concerned. Then, but apparently they were leaving the room every half an hour, going, "Shit, we're gonna have to call an ambulance." They didn't tell me this, obviously, and um. By the time the next morning came around, it had really clogged up. My my tongue was huge, like it was. Could like, you could you talk? Oh, um, talk like this. <laughs> so I just didn't, I just couldn't go home. That would have been good so for the future I'm radio. Just, I, I know, right? So I, I went to school and just didn't answer any questions that day and couldn't go home to my dad. And eventually, it, it was all fine. Like eventually, but did you take it out? No, well, I kept it for a year at a really wonky angle. But that said, all of my friends regret that to do, and I do not regret the one year I spent with a wonky tongue tongue ring. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a winning story. Yeah, it is a winning the story. The moral of the story is if you're considering getting a tattoo, maybe get a tongue ring. Yeah, well, just don't get a crappy tattoo. Yeah. That could be the answer as well. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3 Triple R. So much dancing in the no studio. No dancing from you today, Jeff, I noticed. That was really depressing. Uh, I actually, actually closed the wrong file just at the crucial moment. <laughs> Never mind. We're back. Dr. Jen, are you ticklish? Yes, I am. Are you? <gasps> yes, very much so. Should we I have a tickle Jeff fight is. on air? Wouldn't that be, you know, great radio? <laughs> It'd be, be Jeff's absolute horror, yeah. I reckon. <laughs> we won't be doing that. Gerald <laughs> oh, Jane and I are sitting next to each other. Yeah. We could just have our own little <laughs> tickle fight. <laughs> Uh, the reason, listeners, we're talking about that is that that's the subject for today's Weird Science. And did you know we actually use the word tickle for two quite different phenomena? So, you know, if someone kind of touches you lightly with a, um, I don't know, a blade of grass or, a, or a, a feather or something, and it's kind of irritating, you kind of just want to get it away. It sort of mm, yes. annoys you. It's almost like an itch. And we call that tickling, right? You say to someone, oh, that tickles. But it doesn't make you laugh. But then the tickle fight tickling where it's a bit rougher and, you know, you end up in hysterics. We call both of those things tickling, but they're actually quite different. Yes, right. Well, yeah, <laughs> just thought no. I'd, you know, fill you in on that important no, piece but, of information. But I, but I also, when I'm tickled, there's a fine line between laughter and being very angry for me yep. as well. So is that maybe why we call them both tickling? Because they can be quite annoying. Well, they've got different names. So the first ah. one is called knismesis. Oh, I don't know, weird name, knismesis. And that's in work lots that of into conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Stop knismesising me. <laughs> but, like, if you think about, you know, if you've ever watched a horse and it's kind of flicking its ear to get rid of a fly oh, yeah. or something. Yeah. So that's the first one. That's the kind of slightly irritating one. And the other one is called gargalesis. How good is that for trivia? Yes. So gargalesis is the tickling that makes you laugh. But lots of people say they actually hate being tickled and that it's verging on pain, mm. yet we laugh about it, which is kind of odd. So there's been heaps of research. I sort of thought, oh, tickling... 
there won't be that much to it. But actually, there's lots of interesting science. You know, why are we ticklish? Why are some people more ticklish than others? Why are particular parts of our body ticklish? Why have we evolved to be ticklish in the first place? Why can't you tickle yourself? There's actually this huge plethora of research out there about the humble tickle. Imagine explaining to everyone that you were a tickle expert. Yeah, Professor of Tickling. <laughs> I think you'd be like, get away. But there's um, Not back in, <laughs> Hello, back Professor Tickle. Back in 350 BC, Aristotle was already asking some of these questions and talking about why, you know, why people are ticklish. In terms of, I mean, lots of the questions I just stated, we don't actually know the answer to. We don't really know why we're ticklish. There's sort of three main suggestions. One is that it's kind of social bonding. So, you know, you would never tickle a stranger, right? That would be quite... Um, unexpected, yeah, w- probably not very welcome. Borderline <laughs> abuse, yeah. Yeah, but the idea is, you know, if you think of a, um, you know, a, a mum or dad with a baby, you know, a baby that's not talking yet, it's actually thought to be quite important communication. You know, babies yeah, will start right. giggling in response to tickling at just a couple of months of age, and parents mm-hmm. love it, but they're very aware when the baby suddenly shows you that they don't like it anymore. They don't, they're not laughing anymore, and they, you know, they kind of turn away and you stop. So one idea is that it's about social bonding between mm-hmm. family and friends, and you would never do it to somebody you didn't know. But one of the other um, suggestions is that it's kind of alarm call that there might be something crawling on you. You know, there could be a, I don't know, a spider or something. I get that with the first one. Yeah. With the, you know, the feather or whatever on the back of your neck. I always think, oh, what is is that? And it's just the... Because yeah, I just think spider. Yeah. yeah, so it's basically an alarm to you. There's something on you that you don't want. But the the third main um, argument as to why we're ticklish, I think, is the most fascinating. So think about where you tend to be most ticklish. For most people, it's kind of under the arms, around your ribs, you know, around your neck, places that are sort of quite uh, vulnerable to attack if you were to be attacked by somebody. So the oh. argument is we've evolved to be ticklish to learn to defend ourselves. So we oh. have tickle fights as children, so we learn what to do if somebody is touching us in those vulnerable parts oh, of our body and it's self-defeating. Really? But, how, but, but I mean, how people respond is they sort of giggle and they wouldn't really oh, help you man, very much if you're being attacked, would man, it? I reckon I've punched people in the face yeah. when they've tickled me <laughs> accidentally just as a jerk reaction. I've just gone... Yeah, but the, I mean, the laughing thing is absolutely fascinating because why do we laugh when most of us don't actually really like being tickled that much? So people have done research and looked at what part of your brain is being stimulated when you laugh because you're being tickled versus when you laugh because... Um, you know, because Geraldine's of some made other a joke. reason. Exactly, because <laughs> Geraldine's quite Thanks, great mate. funny. Um, and one of the brain areas that's stimulated is identical in both situations. It's called the Rolandic operculum. So that's the same. So it, it is laughter. It's genuine, you know, laughter. It has a lot of similarities to other laughter. But the other part of the brain that gets stimulated when you're laughing because you're being tickled is the uh, hypothalamus, which does a heap of things. Our listeners have heard me talk about it lots of times. But in this instance, it's related to the fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. And so we're, um, you know, the idea is that we're, the, the tickling is, the laughter is a way of um, either showing submission, of saying, you know, you're, you're superior to me, don't tickle me anymore, I'm not going to put up a fight. Mm. So the laughter might be trying to tell the other person, you know, I'm submissive to you, don't keep tickling. But then another paper I read suggested that we laugh because we want the fight to continue, the tickle fight to continue, so we learn self-defence. So on the one hand, my body or my words might be saying, don't tickle me, don't tickle me, I don't like it. But because I'm laughing, it tells the other person, actually, this is quite fun and let's keep going because that's how I'm going to learn this self-defence while I'm still a child, which oh, is just weird. It's hey? yeah. so strange. <laughs> it does make tickling seem kind of passive-aggressive, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. 
Totally, and lots of people don't like it. But, you know, animals are ticklish too. So you, are they? Yeah, there's footage, well, particularly apes, so the first kind that I said, you know, the kind of oddly irritating, itchy kind, most animals seem to experience that. Yeah. Um, the actual kind of tickling, laughing kind has, has really only been seen in apes. But they also have something resembling a laugh and they also seem to, to engage in these kind of tickle fights as youngsters. But interestingly, rats have also been found to have something resembling a laugh. So if you tickle no. a rat, it makes a sound that's the same as the rat makes when it's playing. And so people think that it's that it's somehow, you know, a pleasant experience. And even more weirdly, I, I won't describe the, the intricacies of the test because it's long and detailed, but they basically set up a way to work out whether rats expect good things to happen, expect to be rewarded or expect bad things to happen, expect something, you know, awful to happen to them. And after they've been tickled, a rat is more likely to be optimistic and expect something good to happen. <laughs> like they put, oh, yeah. somehow puts rats into a positive frame of mind. If you I don't, know. Them. I don't really know. If I was a rat in a medical laboratory, I wouldn't be expecting anything too good to happen <laughs> to me. Yeah, but if you, if, you, if you were just getting tickled, then yeah. I'd be very optimistic about life. It won't be too long before you dissect it on the table. <laughs> but um, can you learn to be more or less ticklish? People argue that if you work really hard at convincing yourself not to be ticklish, you, your brain can do it. The standard way to not be ticklish is to put your hand on the hand of whoever is tickling you, which is part of the reason why. So the, the saying goes, you can never tickle yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And that's because essentially you can't trick your brain because your brain knows it's coming. So the reason we're ticklish is because there's a part of our brain called the cerebellum that's focused on where we're being um, sensational. It does lots of things, but part is kind of the sensation of being touched and the argument is that the reason tickling is somehow well, or the reason it is tickling is because we don't know it's coming it's unpredictable we don't know what the other person is going to do to us so you can't tickle yourself because you can't convince your brain it doesn't know what's happening because the cerebellum knows that the mood you know the sensation is coming so the argument is that if somebody's tickling you and you put your hand on their hand you can trick your brain into knowing what's happening because your uh, hand is mirroring that but person's what if it's hand. on there you can't get to the hand it's on your, <laughs> somewhere yeah, if they're a really good tickler they might make that impossible they might know the trick is there a particular age where you kind of go from enjoying tickling to not because I was tickling my nephew who's about 18 months the other day and he loves like I was tickling him on his feet and he's you know you can do those horse bites on your thighs oh, which yeah, is kind yeah. of similar to a tickle <laughs> yes. but he would go ah, and, and laugh but then he'd kind of put his little foot out again so I could see that he was Loved enjoying it, it yeah. but at the same time he was kind of like it got to a point where he had to pull away but then he'd put his little foot out again yeah. and I thought is there an age where that you go from going yeah keep tickling my foot to going no this is really horrible or is it just a different well, there's, there's been some cross-cultural research. So tickling, tickling is something that kind of crosses, you know, languages and borders and cultures. And the suggestion is that at about 40, you stop engaging in tickle fights. Wow, so 40 is the... But before <laughs> then, Jeff, still engage in tickle fights. <laughs> Sorry, I was a little bit distracted by somebody who just sent us a tweet with a link to the dark world of competitive endurance tickling. Yes, I was just oh, about to no, bring that up. Do you know that. about... Yeah. Yeah, and I've also read somewhere, I think somewhere in Spain, there is a spa that you go to to be tickled because there are people who love the sensation of tickling and actually want to pay to have somebody tickle oh. them. But yeah, endurance oh, tickle. I mean, that's torture. People. 
Yeah. Really? Endurance tickling? I mean, that's just awful. You just <laughs> wet your pants a lot, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, I like reckon. It, yeah. Well, no, I reckon you've lost if you get to that okay. point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's yeah. the test. You've not endured. There is an episode, um, uh, there's a podcast called The Dollop and it's episode, I think, two or three where they talk about competitive endurance tickling mm. and it's very in-depth and it's worth listening to if you wanted to know more about that. Mm. And, yeah, if you want to compete in that, I say good luck to you because <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Dr. Jen, you might have started some people off on a new career as endurance ticklers. Yeah, maybe. Oh, I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. We'll see you in a week's time. See ya. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. On the phone with us now is my good mate, Kate McLennan. Hello. Good morning, Geraldine. How are you? Hello, hello, Sarah. Hello, Kate. Good morning. Oh, hello, Jeff. Hello. <laughs> How are you feeling, Kate? Oh, look, I'm not feeling 100%, I'll be honest with you. Um, did you have a couple of champagnes, mate? Get amongst it? I had a couple it? of sparklings. I had a couple of sparklings, but I, I thought I only had maybe four, but the way I'm feeling, I think I had a bit more than that. Well, thank you very much for talking to us. Um, can, what was it like? Who were you sitting with and stuff? Oh, it was a magical night. <laughs> it was a magical night. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting on the table with um, Josh Thomas and the, and the Please Like Me people. Oh, yes. And it, I think maybe, I don't know, I don't know how we got invited because people kept saying, are you guys up for a nomination? Because um, I went with Kate McCartney. And we're like, no, we're not up for a nomination. We're not even on air, you know, we're just on iView. So I don't know whose seats we're in. I think maybe, I don't know, maybe Robin Butler and Wayne Hope called in sick. I'm not sure. But When we'll, did you we'll... find out you were going? Oh, it was like a couple of weeks ago. Okay. So enough time to get really stressed about it. Oh, and yeah. did, you get, did you get to walk down any carpets with paparazzi asking <laughs> you what you were wearing and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah, well, no. Well, we did walk down, but nobody asked us anything. <laughs> nobody, I wanted to, can I ask a question? What What was in your esky? You're, you oh, went yeah, with an esky. I did take an esky. That's, yeah, well, um, I took a little blue esky because I needed to take my breast pump. Oh. And, um, <laughs> and I kept thinking, how am I going to take, how am I going to take this breast pump? And then I thought, oh, stuff it. I'm just going to. Walk down there, and so when anyone asked me, I'm like, "It's my breast pump," and I thought people would laugh, but they wouldn't. They didn't laugh. They were just like, "Oh, oh, okay." <laughs> <laughs> and everyone sort of goes, "Ooh, oh, like man. they didn't want to invade my privacy or something." And I'm like, "I'm invading my own privacy," you know. <laughs> Who was the most famous person you got to speak to all night, or at least right. brush shoulders with? Okay, all right, so. <laughs> So we have this, I don't know how this happened, but Sam Neill is obsessed with us. <gasps> no way! He, what? He, loves, he loved the catering show and he saw it on, um, on YouTube. And so he started following us on Twitter like last year and like would tweet about us all the time. <gasps> and then, so I'm chatting away to McCartney and this bloke comes up and taps me on the shoulder and she's yapping away and I turn around and I'm like, oh, it's... Some, I don't know, some loser producer. <laughs> and, then, and then I did this double take and realised it was Sam Neill. And he kept coming up to us all night. But he said, he said, I went up and I checked which table you were sitting on so I could come and say hello. Wow. And then he, he um, gave out 
an award, I can't remember what it was, but he did a little bit at the start about Gina Reinhardt that was just like something he threw in that he didn't get approval for, <gasps> from Channel 9. He just kind of went out there and did these jokes about Gina Reinhardt. And then he came up with... It was after, he's like, how, do you, how did you think that went? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, um, what? Did you get a yeah. selfie with him? Yeah. Well, no, we didn't. Actually, no, we didn't take one. We were like, no, we're too cool for that. But everyone around us just kept taking photos. Just uh, Everyone was quite shocked about why he'd, you know, taken a particular interest in us. Well, so you're very good. So what's, what's the atmosphere like? I just, when I was quickly watching it on, on TV, like, you always, it always kind of looks, you know, because it's Australian, it always kind of looks kind of crappy, a bit like a high school social or whatever. Does it seem kind of more more glamorous when you're there or does it just look like it's just being put together? Like a, it sort of felt like a lavish wedding, I guess. Mm. Like, you know, you have the food and nobody really eats because... I was halfway through my dessert and a waiter just came up and took it away. Like, it was sort of like, oh, women mustn't eat there, so we'll just take it away. She's not going to finish that. And I'm like, sorry, can I, I I'm going to keep that. But you're not allowed to keep food on the table during the broadcast. Well, oh. Um, what kind of food is it? Is it good food? Uh, like, I had, it was all right. Like, I had, I had lamb with a bit of a scallop potato on the side, which <laughs> McCartney ate. She <laughs> ate my scallop potatoes. Um... But it's weird because you, like, you can go in there and sit there and watch everything, but you can't move. Like, once you're in, you're locked in. And then they go to an ad break and you can get out and there's these clocks just counting it down. So, and Brian Nankervis, who does a marvellous job um, doing audience warm-up, he's, you know, like, if you want to get out, you've got to go now, you know, and then you can come back in later. You've got to wait, like, until the next ad break. But... Delta Goodrum was about to come on. He's like, Delta Goodrum is moments away. Delta Goodrum is in the house. And then you could tell that he was about to say, and if you want to get out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. Did you get to meet Alf from Home and Away? No, oh, I didn't. That's the only other person I really would like to meet in life is Alf from Home oh, really? Away. Yeah. And was was there anyone there who had um, overindulged spectacularly too much? Uh, there didn't seem to be. Like there was sort of um, the, one of the young guys from, um, was it called, is it Welcome, no, what's it called, something about the Habibs? What's that show called? Uh, I, I want to say welcome one. the Habibs, but it's not welcome. Here come the Habibs. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, Jeff knows. He watches it every week. It's my favourite. <laughs> I feel like when he was on the way out, I did see him grab a glass off a table and just scull it, which I thought, yeah, <laughs> on you. Because yeah. <laughs> you did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, we awesome. just hung out in the toilets and people just wanted to have photos with us in the toilets. That's where our demographic was. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. All right, well, we should let you go back to bed, maybe. Oh, yeah. Me and my seven-month-old kid are going to go back to bed now. Oh, no. Sorry, I mate. I've asleep all day going, come on, mate, you're tired? Are you tired? It's time to go back to bed, isn't it? Oh, Kate McLennan. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for talking to us, mate. No worries. See Love you. Guys. See ya. This has been a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.